Well, we have a title in the church in the of the sermon today that in our series on healthy church that that some people are afraid of one of the words in this title, and the title is "What does a healthy church feel like?" What does a health, healthy church feel like? Because for some reason we're in in church life sometimes we're taught like oh, feeling is bad, what we really need is knowledge. We need to understand, we gotta have faith. But, you know, it's almost like feeling is secondary. And you'll hear pastors talk about how you can't trust feelings and how, you know, if we give in to feelings, then, then you know, we're, we become so subjective that, that we really kind of obscure, um, you know, what's, what God is doing and what he's trying to teach us. You know, there, there's there's almost this kind of fear of experiencing. And yet, I don't know how you can talk about the God who loves and the God who empowers us to love and not talk about feeling. You'll even hear some people teach like, love's not a feeling. It is a feeling. It's more than a feeling, but it is a feeling. It is something you should be experiencing. It's not just knowledge. And so, as we look today, I'm going to use this language of what we experience, what we feel. But I want to do it as Paul talks about it from Ephesians chapter 4. So let's look at Ephesians 4, 17 5, uh, through 5, 2. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to a sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A couple weeks ago, you know, Pastor John went over the first section of chapter four and, and, and you know, we talked about how chapter four is, is the beginning. It's like, the beginning of this section where Paul says, everything that I just talked about in chapters one through three, this is what it should result in in the church. And he starts off that section by saying, we need to be diligent, we need to work at preserving the unity of the church. And then in that section, Paul says, here are the things that God provided for you to help you preserve the unity. First of all, God provided himself. And if you look in those first few verses, you'll see Father, Son, Spirit referenced there. 
God also gave the right beliefs, the truth, the truth around which we should unite, the essential beliefs. And then he gave gifted leaders and equippers. And finally, he says he gave love. And he says, if all this is happening, what it leads to is it leads to maturity, a mature church, a healthy church. And he gives us like two like different kind of metaphors to explain what a healthy church is. One is a healthy church has the knowledge, but doesn't just have knowledge. If you've ever talked to someone who has knowledge, but not depth of knowledge, one of the ways you can test is if someone says, the sky is blue, and that's all they know, and then you just ask them one question. Just ask them one question. And that question might reveal, do they really understand what they're talking about? I say, the sky is blue. And I say, from what perspective? Earth? The moon? What are you talking about? And what do you mean by blue? How come when we get outside of the atmosphere, it doesn't look blue anymore? It seems like it'd just be this endless blue. Well, somebody who actually understands more than the sky is blue could actually, could actually explain it to you. I can't, so don't ask me. I have very thin knowledge of why the sky is blue. But one of the signs of the mature church is that you not just know Jesus is the only way to the Father, that salvation is only through the finished work of Jesus Christ. You not only know that, but you understand it enough so that you're not like children being tossed to and fro on the waves. That every time somebody comes along and says, you know what I think about Jesus? And you go, wow, that sounds good. I'm, I'm going to do that. Or do you know what I think Christians should do? Or do you know what the latest things that churches should do to be more effective? You're just going to boom, 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 chase after whatever doctrine happens to be presented to you, whatever practice, because your understanding is, is thin. But he says, no, and we're a mature church. We're not tossed to and, throw, to and, to and fro like children on the sea. And the second kind of metaphor he uses is the metaphor of like the body and building up. And he says, you know, at the, in verse 16, he says that we build, the church reaches this point of maturity where it builds itself up in love. In other words, we're so mature, God's love is so true, so evident, that just the love itself builds up the church. You know, when I say those things, what I hope you, you think when I say those things is that would be awesome. That'd be awesome. It'd be awesome to be not having to worry in our church about being a church that's just chasing every new, new Christianity, new belief, new doctrine, new practice, but really, truly understanding God's Word. And that it would be awesome if our church was so healthy that it would build itself up in love. Now that second part's kind of hard because we're like, how do we know this? And, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get there, let me just tell you, when I think about what it means for the church to be building itself up in God's love, is that God's love is so real, so powerful, so present, so rooted, not just in God's Word, but in our understanding of God's Word, that anything that comes our way, 
any problem that we face, whether it's out there, the world attacking us, or whether it's within, us disagreeing with each other, that no matter what happens, it always results in deeper love. I talk about this when I talk about reconciliation, that true reconciliation is not just saying, sorry, sorry, okay, now let's go back to how it was. No, true reconciliation means the relationship is stronger, the love is stronger. When we really seek Christian relationship, what should result out of conflict is a greater love not simply a doing away with the conflict. I think this is part of what Paul's talking about in, in, in Romans 5, which we talked about last week. In, in verses 3 through 5, he says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. How can we rejoice in our sufferings? He says, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. How can we do that? How can we go through suffering and somehow come out of it better? Is it simply because we persevered and we were tough and now, now I'm, 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 I'm stronger because of it? No. He says in verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's the goal. The goal is to be that church, that church that is so grounded in God's truth, but not just knowledge, but experiencing that truth in the love that's in the community of faith. And you might go, well, I've never been a part of a church like that. I've never even heard of one existing. And you know what? It's sad because I'm, I'm not saying they're not out there. And I'm not saying we're not making strides to becoming more like this. But I am saying it's not common. And because of that, many Christians don't know what a healthy church is. They don't know what a healthy church is because they've never seen one. It's, they've never really looked at what the Bible says a healthy, mature church is, or they think it's so beyond them, it's so out there that you know, that's something you know, we'll never get. And as a result, they're willing to settle for something less. At the risk of some of your marital bliss, don't look at each other if you're here with your spouse when I say this. But you know some of your friends who settled when they got married, right? Because you talked to them. You knew when they were like talking about that guy that they were, oh, he's going to be this, he's going to be that, or that woman, oh, she's going to be this and that. And then, and then, you know, they finally get married and you're like, huh, person you described <laughs> doesn't look like this person. Again, don't look at each other in case... You have feelings that maybe you settled. But I don't, you know, we know that happens. People go like, well, you know, he, he, he's somebody. At least he cares, right? We do this in church. We've so lost what a healthy church is that we don't even know what, what, what we should be looking for. Now, some people I have tried, they've looked, they've, and they've just given up. And so they're like, well, I'll take the best that's, that's out there. Other people kind of do this on purpose. They don't want to be in a healthy church like this because a healthy church like this is full of people who are constantly in God's word and studying and, and wanting to know more about, about who God is, who Jesus is, what, what his plan is for us, how we should be serving and, and growing in their faith. And they would rather be part of an unhealthy church where they're not going to be challenged that way. 
There's other people that, that don't want to be part of a healthy church because a healthy church means that there is a growing relationship, a growing intimacy. And there's a lot of us, and especially us Americans, we like to be close to people but not too close. I want to know you have problems, I just don't know to know what they are. And especially if it's a problem I might actually be able to help you with. We don't want to be close to one another. We're perfectly happy to kind of be in our own private worlds. We can't be a healthy church if people have decided, I don't want a healthy church. Because a healthy church would be awkward. It would be inconvenient. It would be mean I have to talk to people I don't want to talk to or I have to associate with people I don't want to associate with. It means I can't just live my life the way I want and fit church and Christianity into it. But I'm, ho I'm hoping you guys are here today because and that, that you are that when you hear what a healthy church is, it resonates with you. And even if you feel like, I need to be in a healthy church so that I can get healthy, which is great, and you feel like, I'm not really ready to be fully part of a healthy church, but I need to be in one so I can be healthy, that's, that's great because you're saying, this is what I see God wants us to be, and this is what I want to be. And so we look at what Paul says here as he, as he becomes very, like, you know, more specific about what we need to do. And he's also telling us not just what a healthy church believes, not just what a healthy church looks like, but what a healthy church feels like. But we have to remember all of this, all of this comes from our hearts being transformed by God, working through His Spirit, working through His Word. So the first thing we see in verses 17 uh, through uh, 19, a healthy church does not feel like the world. A healthy church does not feel like the world. If you've been in a workplace that may be on the really bad side, you might use the word toxic. You ever been in a toxic workplace? Or maybe on the positive side, it's not toxic, it's not positive, but less negative than toxic. It's just kind of political, or it's hyper-competitive. You ever been in that kind of a workplace? That's how the world is. I've been in workplaces where you do not even attempt to resolve conflict because it can just get you in more trouble. You just let it go. I've been in workplaces where everything is about people competing with each other, trying to outdo one another, trying to get that next promotion, trying to get that, 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 that bigger salary. I've been in workplaces where it's just everybody's in their cubicle and live in your cubicle. Maybe that's how school is. Maybe that's how even in your family or your friends. There's the politicking, there's the competition, there's the plots, there's the subplots. There's all the interpersonal conflicts. There's the, you know, who keeps, you know, leaving the microwave so messy, and oh, and you know, who, who keeps taking my food out of the refrigerator? The healthy church doesn't feel like the world. We've had people come and uh, be part of this church and be even part of staff and leadership and 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 even though they were believers and 
and we were believers because they had come from toxic workplaces they couldn't understand that here if someone sits down and tells you how you can do your job better it's not because they're trying to undermine you it's because they're trying to help you because they hadn't come from a work environment where they were helped The church shouldn't be like that. The church shouldn't be personal agenda after personal agenda, my way or the highway. It shouldn't be about how do I manipulate the pastor to do what I want, or how do, as pastor, do I get the church to do what I want? No. That's what the world feels like. And when we have those kind of feelings in the church, we need to get on our knees, we need to pray, we need to repent, and then we need to fix it. Look at how Paul describes the, the, the Gentiles. And by the way, he's not judging the Gentiles here. The Gentiles, God's taking care of that. He's using the Gentiles as comparison. And because a lot of the, the Christians, and when he says Gentiles, he means non-Christian here. But because a lot of the Christians had been Gentiles, and he's saying, this is how you used to be. Don't you remember? And he says, the futility of their minds, darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. He calls them callous, hard-hearted, and they've given themselves up to sensuality and greed to practice every kind of impurity. He's saying, saying this is how the world is. This is the, what, you know, how the world interacts. That even when the world is trying to be kind of nice, you're never quite sure why they're being nice. You're not that way. And he tells us why they're that way. He's, he's saying the reason that way, the reason it's the futility of the mind that then leads to all of these failed attempts of trying to, to fill that need within them that then leads to this hardness of heart. He says it's because they're darkened in their understanding and it's the ignorance that is in them the futility of their minds, Paul will write in the book of Romans, he'll, he'll start off by saying the futility of their minds comes because God has said, I am God. I am truth. And humanity has said, no thank you. We're going to try to find truth on our own over here when truth is there with God. How hard that is, right? How hard that is, how futile, how frustrating that can be. This, you know, I talked about this on Wednesday, something that sometimes happens in my house, I'm not going to say to who, but one of us will lose our keys. Ever happen? Or lose our phone. That's already frustrating. I can't find my keys, I can't find my phone. And then when somebody says, have you checked here, have you checked in your jacket? Have you checked in your bag? Have you checked here? And you're like, yes, I checked there. It's not there. Leave me alone. I'm looking for my phone, right? And how frustrating and futile that search is. And then you find it exactly where you said you looked, that you rejected it, said it can't possibly be there can't possibly be there, so I will not even look. That's just a phone and keys. Think about rejecting the truth of who God is, the, the truth of our purpose for existence, the truth of salvation from sin, to reject all that and to still then go out and try to find something like it. Yeah. It's futility trying to satisfy the longing in my heart for God 
with something else. That's what the health, that's what the, the world does, and the healthy church cannot be like. If you jump down to verse 31, he, he continues this list. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. A healthy church doesn't feel like this. If we're in a healthy church, it shouldn't be marked by bitterness. It shouldn't be marked by wrath. It shouldn't be marked by anger. There shouldn't be this going around and talking negatively about other people. That's what the world does. It's not what should happen in a healthy church. And I think the underlying question that that Paul's asking them, because he's saying, this is how the Gentiles are. This is how the world is. And I'm not telling you this so we can say, yeah, bad Gentiles. Paul's saying, no, that's not why. What I'm saying is, if you are no longer walking with the Gentiles, if you are walking with Christ, why are you still living in darkness? If you have been transformed to new life in Christ, why are you still living in darkness? Why is your first thought about yourself and being defensive and attacking and being bitter and holding grudges and regretting. He's saying, why would that be? Why would you be still wanting to live according to just what you get out of stuff? Why? But thank God, Paul doesn't just ask the question. He then kind of affirms them. And you know when I read this whether it's affirming to you or not. And I hope it is affirming to you. Because in verse 20 he goes, but that is not the way you learned Christ. That's not the way you know Christ. That's not the way you learn. And then he says, what did you learn? You learned... To put off the old self. All of that stuff I just talked about, you know, Paul is saying, that belonged to the old self. You've been renewed in the spirit. Renewed in the spirit. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. You know, when John and I were talking about this earlier uh, this week, you know, you know, John, John made the note that, that the idea behind that putting on the new self, it's something that we always have to consciously be aware of. It has that sense of, of putting on clothes. And so while a healthy church does not feel like the world, a healthy church does feel like Christ is present. And the reason a healthy church feels like Christ is present is because each of us, if we're followers of Christ, are doing what Paul says, and we're putting on the new self. In Galatians 3.27 and also in Colossians 3.8-12, we went over this Wednesday night, but, but Paul uses similar language about putting on. And instead of saying put on the new self, he talks about putting on Christ. It's often associated with that's what happens in baptism. By the way, free advertising for baptism next week. Um, Tomi back there is going to be baptized, so great. But part of what she's going to do when she's being baptized is she's going to show in baptism the, the taking off of the old self and the putting on of the new self. The putting on of Christ to be renewed. He says here that the new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness, true holiness, 
That's the church. That's what it should feel like. If you understand what that means, you, you realize like what, what not just Paul, but even John would write about and, and, and Jesus spoke about, that if you are, have the new self on, if you have put on Christ and, you, and you're created, which is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, there's no place for the world in that. How can you have Christ in you? How can you put on Christ, have the new self, and still be bitter? And still try to want to work the politics, get people, bend them to your will? No. One of the crazy things about what Jesus does in his ministry is he just comes and he just he tells his disciples they can't understand it. You know, we wouldn't have been able to understand it either. But he's not trying to manipulate them. He's saying, this is what I'm doing. This is what it's going to cost. You want to follow me? Well, this is what it's going to cost. He's not trying to lead them along, lead them along, and say, hey, it's all good. We're just going to walk around the countryside and talk and, you know, hang out. And then somewhere down the line, oh, by the way, by the way, it's going to be tough. No, he's, he's told them from the very beginning. From the very beginning. He's not manipulating. He's being truthful. What I you know, love about what we do here when we preach on Sunday mornings and teach during the week is that we're not trying to soft sell the gospel to you. We're not trying to, to tell you like, hey, just come to Jesus. He'll solve all your problems. He'll make your marriage better. He'll bless you with material things. No. We want to tell you the truth. And this putting on of Christ, it circles back to those first 16 verses about what a mature church is. And Paul's saying, this is what should happen. We should feel Christ's presence in this church, in how we deal with even conflict. In verses 25 down, he, he then starts to talk about things that look kind of, you know, pretty specific, but they're actually behind them are general principles. But let me give you the big point. The big point is this, that a healthy church feels immersed in truth and love. Not just truth. I know churches that, that they line up, doct you know, doctrinally, everything is right, 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 right. But the love is not evident in their church. And I know other churches that just want to chase after love, love, love. And yeah, we kind of believe that truth stuff. But if truth gets in the way of us loving the way we should love, we're going to compromise truth. No. A healthy church is immersed in truth and love. Back in the first... Um, you know, back, back a few verses ago in the other section, you know, Paul had said, speak the truth in love. Here he's, he's saying here in verse 25, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. See, it's not enough just to know truth. Truth also must be spoken but as Paul reminds us, it's not just spoken to be spoken. It's spoken in love. And if it's spoken in love, what Paul will say in verse 29, he'll say, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And at first you go like, oh, he means like I shouldn't say anything negative about people. No, that's not what he means. You can actually say positive things about people that's corrupting. He's saying anything that corrupts. Well, what's his definition of corrupt? Well, in verse 29, he says, 
but only such as good for building up. For building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. When we speak, whether we're saying something positive or something negative, whether we're teaching doctrine, teaching God's Word, or whether we're just giving general advice about how to mop the floor, no corrupting talk comes out of our mouths, but only such as is good for building up. It cannot be good for building up if it's not true. It's going to be difficult to really build up if it's not talk that comes from love. See, the world's attitudes, we saw anger, bitterness, wrath, clamor, slander, malice. But then in verse 32, Paul says, this, this is the attitude. This is the attitude of the mature church, the healthy church. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And not just forgiving one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I think there's another side of this that we don't talk about. We often talk about the speaking with love that, that takes place in a, healthy, in a healthy church. But I also want to make sure we mention this, that's the hearing with love. That if it's going to be a healthy church, we not only need to have people that are willing to speak truth in love, we also have to have people who are willing to hear truth in love. Hearing truth in love doesn't mean you agree with the person. It just means that you acknowledge they are telling you this because they love you. And you are going to listen whether you think they're right or wrong knowing that they love you. It will probably change how you respond to them. Whether you will be immediately defensive or suspicious of their motives. It's not just speaking that he talks about. In verse 28, he says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. John emphasized this point week before you know, we talked about this, and that is this, that if you believe this is the church that, you, that God has called you to be a member of, it's not an accident. God has a reason for it. He has a function for you within this body of Christ, and it's not a function that you just get to decide. It's one he gave you. And you need to do it. When he talks about the thief no longer stealing, he, he explains what he means. It means the person not doing the work they need to do. And whether that is just being someone who works and is industrious for the point that you may, you may help those in need, which is very literal to what he's saying there, that we need to do, to do honest work, or whether it's this bigger picture about the church, that if God has carefully designed this church to include you to have a function, you need to do it. And as I said before, sometimes right now, you're in the preparation phase. And God just wants you to prepare and to grow and get ready. But for others, it's time to serve. The last bit is in chapter 5 where he says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He's connecting this, our walking in love with one another, 
And he's connecting it to Christ's sacrifice for us, which was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He's comparing our walking with one another. He's connecting it to this most precious of all sacrifices. And so the last point here is a healthy church treasures healthy relationships. It's a f- if Christ's sacrifice, His love shown in His sacrifice for us was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, and, and that's what He's saying, our walking in love, then, then we need to value healthy relationships because God does. This connects even to Romans 12, where it talks about us presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. God wants our relationships to be healthy. He knows there's going to be problems and there's going to be conflict and there's going to be disagreements. He knows that. And he places this high premium on reconciliation. And remember, it's not just so the healthy church can have healthy relationships. Healthy relationships are better than unhealthy relationships. It's entertaining to watch unhealthy relationships on TV or in movies. It's horrible to be living in them. He's told us, walking in love, a community, a healthy church, where kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiving one another, where that's characteristic, where Christ is present, isn't that better than being in a church where there's bitterness, malice, slander, division? It's interesting because when, even when Paul writes in, in Romans 12 about us presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, he's, he's actually asking us to offer to him who he has made us to be. He's asking us to, to offer Christ's likeness to God. And I think that word Christ's likeness is really important because it's not simply about what we do because we aren't doing the same things Christ did. We can't do them. But the Christ likeness, it's about who we are. And I think what this verse brings together when it says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. I think what it does is it brings together this full gospel this sense that Paul often talks about, about us bringing our efforts, but what's really happening is Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us. And, you know, the way I can summarize it here is that God's transformation of us makes our imitation true. If we haven't been transformed by Christ and we just want to imitate God, imitate Christ, well, it's not true, it's just an imitation. But it's true and it's genuine and it's authentic if the imitation is coming from a life and a heart that's been transformed by God. Healthy church, do you treasure healthy relationships? I thought about like how to end today and you know, and, 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 and it's one of these things that I, I think it's just kind of weighing on my heart, not because I see problems in our church, but because I see good things happening. And whenever I've seen God bless and good things happening, I know that that's when some of the attacks will come. And they may come from the outside, but a lot of times they'll come from the inside. And so, you know, sounds kind of corny, but I just came up with this list of questions. I called it the guard your heart checklist. The guard your heart. That what we need to do is we need to be aware of those little things that might be in my life, those little seeds that might be in your life. 
and that we see it in each other's lives and we don't feed it to make those little cracks become huge crevices. And I just have some questions. And I'm not going to, you know, really expound on this. I'm just going to read them. First question is this. How much of what you are doing in this church is more for yourself than it is out of service to God? Some of the indicators is, how do you feel when someone, when you're not thanked for what you do or you're not recognized? How, are you, how do you feel when others are thanked and recognized for things they did, but you weren't? Do, do, you, do you serve because you have this need to be needed? Do you serve more when things are broken or when there's crises? Have you decided to stop serving because you don't think you're doing any good? They don't need me. I don't need to serve. If this is you, if you even suspect these things, your prayer, ask God to help you really grow in true servanthood and a true servant heart. Second question, how much do you see what you are doing fits into the overall mission of the church? And if you really see it fitting, is it because that's just your own idea? Or have you sat down and really talked with the pastors about this? This raises this other question that, you know, can kind of lead to this crack. And it's how much do you actually trust your pastors? When you hear about structures and processes and planning and policies, do you see them as a hindrance to the spirit moving in your life? Or do you see them as important for the church to be able to seek the Spirit together and make decisions together? That's the danger that sometimes people get caught up in saying, I'm following the Spirit, but it's really a justification for acting unilaterally. Do you trust your leaders enough to seek guidance? on what you believe the Spirit is telling you. For you, I would encourage you to, to learn more about what we do, how we do it, why we do it. But not just learn about it, don't just read the bylaws or talk about the organizational structure, but participate in it. We don't see the value of things if we're standing on the outside looking in. We as a church have decided we are a deliberative church. That means we make decisions together. Someone just said, why do we need bylaws? Why can't we just use common sense? Well, common sense to you might be totally different from common sense to somebody else. Whose common sense are we going to follow? Someone might say the Holy Spirit is saying paint the church blue, and someone says, no, the Holy Spirit says paint it green. What are we going to do? Blend the two together? Go to Home Depot. Can you get blue and green, put them together? No, there has to be a process by which we discern God's will together. When you're critical of others in the church, why are you critical? Is it because it's not the way you would have done it? Do you often think and say, it must be done this way? Or, that will never work. Or, is your way, when you really think about it, are you really asking yourself, is my way better or is my way just different? And, and this took me a long time, I'm not even going to tell you what age I was when I finally had this breakthrough in my life. Will the other way work even if it's not the best way? Oh, that, that wars against everything in me that wants things to be efficient to be able to let someone do something a way that I know is not the best way, but it's still going to get the job done. You see, when I'm being critical of others, when I'm criticizing their ideas, am I really understanding what's in my heart? Is it just because I believe I'm so right all the time? Or is it I tear down to kind of build myself up. 
what do, if we find ourselves facing these kind of cracks, these kind of seeds, I will tell you this, if you must speak, if you must speak critically or criticize, you always do so in love to build up the person and to build up the church. By the way, if you're the one being criticized or if you're the one being corrected, maybe it's not just criticism, it's actual correction, how do you receive it? Are you bitter? Are you angry or defensive? How do you respond? As I said earlier, whether we're speaking or whether we're hearing, we do so with love and grace. Do you take sides before taking the time to understand an entire situation? This happens, and it happens in church because we love people so much. Someone will come to us and say, someone wronged me, or someone said this, or someone did this, and we, our hearts just connect with them, and we just want to defend them. Got to be careful. We, we need to take the time to understand, not so we can choose a side. We need to take the time to understand so that we can help be part of the reconciliation. It's hard. It's easy when somebody comes in and talks about how they've been wrong to suddenly divide everything up into us versus them. Us versus them. You've already gone past a crack or a seed. You've created the crevice. And the last one, how important is it for you to be right or to be seen as right? If, our job, if, if, if we make our objective to be right or to be seen as right, we miss out on what Paul is saying. Paul says what's most important is for us to be Christ-like, for us to know truth and to live truth that is expressed in God's love. That's what's most important. It's not... The most important is not to win every argument, just so everyone knows you're right. Like I said, I'm not saying this because I see widespread problems in our church. I'm saying this as a warning because I'm excited about what God's doing in this church, and I see good things happening. I see people coming together, as I just talked about, but I also know that's when the attacks come. Guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. Read and reread verses 17, 417 through 5-2. Ask God, is anything here? There are even seeds of this. And ask God to help you.